the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. There's no better place to go than The Athletic for breaking stories, long form articles, ad free content. Get the app, it's all free. The subscription is so manageable, it's so worth your time. There's so much to get to podcast articles. Of course, the app, personalized app as well, so you can see your teams first, always. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription today. And we are going to be joined by one of the Athletic's best, Yankees beat reporter Lindsey Adler, who's been all over the Yankees this offseason in terms of the signings, the trades, the internal discussions, and a piece she, she posted not too long ago about Garrett Cole and his stance on where the labor situation, the financial situation is with Major League Baseball and where it's going. Because we all know there's a looming CBA negotiation that's going to get crazy ugly. Um, and it's going to be around this. This is, the, this is going to be the meat and potatoes of the CBA mess. And Garrett Cole, one of the highest paid players and one of the, you know, the longest termed pitcher in Major League Baseball on a nine-year contract with the Yankees, has a lot to say about it a lot of intelligent things to say about it. Lindsay has detailed that in her piece and she's going to come on and kind of explain what it all means for the now and for the immediate future of major league baseball. But first I'm bringing Scott back. There's kind of more FAQs out there. There's a lot to a lot of back and forth. JJ Watt, uh, Marcus Mariota situation, Russell Wilson now very much back in the fold with the hot stove and his unsteady situation in Seattle what that means, who might be ready to pounce if that if that becomes a reality. And a quick look at dead cap. Scott's got some questions for me. I'm going to kind of lay out some things on a real basic level, even though there's nothing basic about dead cap. I do have a piece on spytrack.com that lays out a little bit more about it. And obviously, happy to answer any questions at Spotrack on Twitter. So Scott Allen first with some NFL FAQs and Lindsey Adler from The Athletic on the back end of the show. Today's episode is also brought to us by OLBG.com, the online betting guide. If you're an NBA or NHL or NFL expert, they're kind of covered it all. It's a great spot to go for free pick'em contests. Everybody loves pick'em contests. At the same time, there are expert handicappers there making their predictions, kind of telling you what to do, but also explaining the process, explaining the thinking behind why they pick X over Y, A over B. So you're learning about it. You're getting better at it. There's a there's some accountability for the picks, and uh, it's free. Cash prize is given away every single month. Show them what you've got today at olbg.com. Joined on the olbg.com hotline by Scott Allen. Scott, welcome back. It's another uh, Q&A session to kind of open up this show. It's just that kind of year. Things pop up. There's rumors. There's realities. There's evolutions to these things look the we still don't know the league cap in the nfl we don't know um you know how many of the mlb teams are shaking out still the nba just released the second half of their schedule i mean that's how weird things are right now so it's a uh, you know it's a good time just to kind of sit down and and talk it out um let's open with jj that good yeah let's go yeah it's tough not to he's interesting he's polarizing he's not super old, but the numbers being put out this morning this morning by Dan Rossini from ESPN, you know, they don't surprise me because I did the projection piece for SpotTrek.com and I have the Browns on a three-year, $45 million contract for J.J. Watt. So she's out there saying there are offers north of 15, you know, between 15 and $16 million for J.J. Watt. 
Now that could be his agent saying that, <laughs> you know, with wishful thinking, basically putting it back on the onus of some of these teams. You know, the problem with wanting to go, go to a contender is generally speaking, those contenders are not going to pay top price for them, for anybody, you know, let alone somebody over 30 years old. So I, I kind of did a quick back and forth uh, with a colleague saying, you know, if that's really the case, if there are teams, you know, multiple out there north of 15 million, I'll just, I'll put it back on you. We'll make a little game out of it. Which teams do you think have offered 15 plus for JJ Watt? If there's a dozen involved right now. Mm, um, let me see who's got some space here. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm going to say. One of the teams does have space. The other, the other team. and But this is my assessment, by the way. This is just a guess. I have no inside sources. This is just how I evaluate this situation currently. That's all. Go ahead. I'm going to say Tennessee and, you know, I want to say the Bills, but I don't think they're going to go that high. So I'll go, I'll go Titans and I'll go the Raiders. Yeah. Raiders are, are one of my teams and I've got the Browns as the other. I think those are the two teams that probably feel like they have to, to wow with a contract offer to be in consideration right now. Uh, even though, you know, the Browns are closer in terms of contention than I think the Raiders are. But to that, if I had a guess of one or more teams north of 15 million, it'd be those two. I have the Titans in the $12 million range with the Bills, with the Colts. That all feels about right. Max 12 million from those three teams. Now, the Colts have space, but there are a lot of holes to fill there. There's internal extensions to be had on, on the defensive side of the ball. They have to sign a left tackle to replace Costanzo's retirement. Uh, I just I don't know that they'd be going all in on J, excuse me on JJ Watt as a really a second option with Darius Leonard now and DeForest Buckner that they made a big swing for last offseason. So he'd be a complimentary piece. And generally speaking, that doesn't mean you're gonna overpay. Um so okay, so that's tier two. I've got a tier three with one team and a tier four with two teams. Go ahead. Tier three. Mm. It's the obvious team. Packers. Yeah. 10 million. To me, yeah. that's their probably their max price, 10 million, because they know they're the favorite because of the hometown situation, the family situation, um, and the Aaron Rodgers situation. You know, of all these teams we've talked about, yes, Josh Allen is great. Yes, Baker Maker, Mayfield took a huge step forward. Yes, Ryan Tannehill is adequate. No, Carson Wentz is not a safe option yet <laughs> um, in terms of winning and contention. Aaron Rodgers sure is. So he starts the discount tier, which is what I'm putting this at. J.J. Watt, $10 million, a discount for the Packers. The, the fourth tier, of course, is the bigger discount. I've got it at $8 million. It's two very obvious teams. Are you putting Pittsburgh in there? I'm not. They're I, out. I, I wouldn't they're either because I saw – yeah, I saw that they're out. So They're out because of our discussion last show, Scott. They're just not a contender. Now, their yeah, defense exactly. is great. They're going to win some games because of defense, but with or without Ben, they are not a contender right now for me. Mm. It is the two clear contenders. <laughs> you got me. Chiefs and Bucks, man. Chiefs and Bucks. Why, oh, okay. why the hell not, right? Why the hell not? Yeah, you're right. If, yeah, I mean, this guy's that... just sitting out there looking for a new home. He's an immediate impact player. If you'll take yeah. eight or seven million, you know, now, now Shaq Barrett's gone. 
you know, or now Ndamukongsu is gone. Now you let them walk because you replace them with a more versatile JJ Watt. Granted, a you know an injury red flag, but why not? If he's yeah, if he's interested, you at least make the low offer. You at least make that contention offer. So that's tier four for me. Now look, you know everyone's in. Everyone's probably <laughs> throwing a throwing themselves into the ring here somewhat. These are just the teams I've identified. You know, it's extremely likely that somebody else comes in late Minnesota. Who knows? Who knows who's coming in late here with, with a swing? But in terms of contenders who can probably afford him, this is this seems like the likely list. You know, does Seattle get involved? Let's not go there yet because we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna bring it back around to Seattle here here quickly. I know you had a question about Marcus Mariota. Hit me. Yeah, so it's been reported that the you know the trade market for Mariota is is cooling off here, and it was the reason was that apparently his contract is hard to trade because of some incentives that are built in. Can you shed some light on that? <laughs> Mariota has a one year deal at, at basically eleven million. It's a little under eleven million, but there are. Per game, 60, 60% snaps bonuses. There are, you know, playing time, uh, basically $2 million worth of playing time bonuses that include games won, playoff berth, things like that. Um, there's Pro Bowl, there's Super Bowl bonuses. It's all there. You, you basically, if he's your starting quarterback and you get to the playoffs and you go through the postseason, you know, he's basically a, a $14 million quarterback. Does that scare you? Not at all. So what are we talking about here? This is I mean, what it is. This is what it is. The wink winks going back and forth right now between Washington and Mariota or Chicago and Mariota or, or New England and Mariota are the team wants to rip up the contract and start over and put it on their terms. And Mariota and his camp simply do not. Ryan Tolner at Rep 1 basically says, we like this as a one-year deal in this weird year. We want the ability to have a good, strong base out of 11 million. We want to make more if he does well. And if he makes more, we want to be able to cash in on a hundred million dollars because Mariota is only 27 years old right now. And this isn't Cam Newton trying to revive his career. This is 27 year old Mariota trying to revive his career. So he wants to be able to max out at 12 million fine with one of these, you know, halfway decent teams and then be able to just strike gold in 2022 when the $4 billion with the TV contracts that are now approaching an agreement are going to really change the financial landscape of the NFL. So to me, this is Mariota's camp saying, absolutely not. You know, we think this is a good deal for the situation at hand. We're not starting over. We're not going to, you know, maybe they restructure what the, what's there for, for cap purposes, but at 10.7 million, are you really concerned about, about that? You know, any of the teams out right. there? No, you're not. So no. this is a back and forth. This is an, a negotiation tactic. Um, this is why you're hearing the Raiders may just have to outright release him. Now, that is the risk that Mariota's camp runs. The Raiders can simply just release him. <laughs> Nothing guaranteed here. So if they can't find a trade partner, if Mariota doesn't play ball with these new teams and, and agree to some sort of extension or, or, or whatnot, um, then he's going to get outright released out of this contract and have to start over still a better situation for him because then his agent still sits in those rooms and says, you know, this is the deal. You know, we're not doing a two-year deal. We're not doing a four-year deal. We're doing a one-year deal. You're not going to be able to franchise tag him in 2022. 
you know, that, that, that baseline has been set now by some of these one year, fr- you know, free agent quarterback contracts. It's important it, to him to be available in 2022 is the very short answer to a long answer. <laughs> yeah. You, you made a, uh, interesting comment there. Can it be built in that a player cannot be franchise tag? Oh yeah. We've seen it more and more last couple of, uh, of, uh, free agent iterations here. There's, there's plenty of players so, out there that have that. So Trent Williams, so it's sort of one, like, by the way. So it's sort of like a no trade clause type thing. Even better, in my opinion, <laughs> even better because the no trade clause, there's, there's control. The no tag clause gives the, the current team absolutely no control. It's yeah. all about the player now. So it's a, it's a vice that some of these players, mostly quarterbacks have used. Like I said, Trent Williams has it right now in San Francisco. Otherwise he's absolutely a trade, a franchise tag candidate. Um, that's that's coming for a lot of these players that are looking for one-year deals. We're going to see that a lot. Um, it's going to be about getting back to the market in 2022, and uh, not so much about how this contract looks this offseason. So that that's to me that's how I read the Mariota situation. How does it end up? He's going to get released. He's going to get released, and he's they're going to force the hand. And, and from what I'm seeing here, he it, it would be zero dead cap to the Raiders. Yep. So I mean. If that is the case, they're trying is to get it a better for them. Pick. Yeah, they're they're trying to get a mid round pick. Is all they're trying to do right now. They're going to wait to the very last minute and see if the Bears come in late. Um, well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. You know, even if they held them into you know late August, because there's always a quarterback that goes down, and then you can flip them for you know that's a bad look because it really tarnishes his market. Um, okay. You're right, though. There's no reason to release him today. That's for darn sure. You, you want the deadline to spur the action, to, to quote the, the great Andrew Brandt, um, you know, because the Bears or, or the Patriots, one of those teams with not a great draft pick, as we've talked about, they want to have their quarterback situation figured out pre-free agency so that it becomes an attraction to offensive players looking to come to those teams specifically. They need to use that as market bait. So, you know, March 16th, there's going to be chatter if Marcus Mariota is still available as a Raiders quarterback. And uh, look, who else is a trade candidate? You know, Garoppolo is probably being dangled out there still. Mariota is certainly the top of this list right now. Who else is being dangled? Unless we're seriously going to talk about Dak or, or Russell, who we're going to get to in a second here. Um, you know, it's, a, it's possible that come March 16th, he's the only slash best available quarterback on the trade market, <clears throat> Sam Darnold excluded. And uh, that will get some interest. So, the Raiders are just going to wait it out and get the best pick available or just flat out release him prior to the draft. Yeah. Okay. What else? Are we getting the Russell? Are we going to the meat yeah, potatoes of this yeah. thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, we've been dodging it for a couple of shows now, Scott, because it's we just not the kind of thing you want to have 20 minute discussions about. And then, you know, it's, it's a ghost discussion when reality sets in. Um, I said this a few weeks back when Russell did come forward. This is Russell Wilson, by the way, for those of you who have been sitting under a rock for the last <laughs> uh, 12 hours or so. Um, when the news came out, when he said what he said about sick of getting sacked, sick of the Seattle situation, not being able to build a proper offensive line, a proper set of weapons around him. Uh, when he said that out loud and when Seattle didn't respond, those two things in combination for me, were a gigantic wake-up call because Russell's not the kind of player to do this, number one. 
and the Seattle Seahawks organization is not a kind of not the kind of organization that takes those things lightly. So it signaled to me that something was either broken or being discussed behind the scenes internally, whether or not that there was going to be a new extension for Russell, right? He was underpaid, he felt underpaid, or there was really some turmoil that could turn into serious discussions about trading him. There's now a report from many people in Seattle that, you know, really good reports to read out there. I'll tweet them out on, on, on the uh, at SpotTrack Twitter account that it's, it is broken, that there are some serious issues behind the scenes, whether that's GM related, whether that's Pete Carroll related. Um, that's a little bit vague, but Russell's at a point of not no return, but I think he would prefer now to really start to generate some serious trade talk and trade interest. So let's just leave it right there and take it off the hot stove and actually discuss this. Do we just bring back the conversation we had last show, Scott, about how there are teams that have been clearing space for something? Yeah, Deshaun, absolutely. Russell, something. You know, whether they missed out on Matt Stafford and, and that was the initial intention, now there's a plan B, or, or it's about, you know, we're going to go and draft the quarterback, but we're going to have enough cap space to be able to bring in three wide receivers and a tight end and whatever this free agency to, to just go all in in 2021. Uh, you know, the Panthers are the team that for me that are signifying that they're doing some version of that and they don't love their quarterback. So look, it's been out there. Pete Carroll wants to run the ball. That's what Russell hates right now about the Seattle offense the most that they continually try to box him into a uh, modified role as a quarterback they don't want him to run anymore, but they want to run the ball. Um, it's why Chris Carson's been injured <laughs> frequently. It's why Rashad Penny's been injured frequently. Um, it's been kind of a revolving door trying to recreate Marshawn Lynch, which that's easier said than done. There's only one Marshawn Lynch in the past 20 years or so, and it's Marshawn Lynch. So, <laughs> you know, for a lot of reasons, the Panthers, Seahawks, connection works whether or not that involves Christian McCaffrey coming back to Seattle or not it doesn't really matter to me it it doesn't matter I mean is Seattle without Russell Wilson do they want Christian McCaffrey what are your thoughts there yeah I mean I brought that up yesterday uh, last episode and um yeah again if if you don't have that quarterback there to facilitate you know the the, the running back is is just a running back and it it's not going to work. I mean, McCaffrey is a running back and he is a catching out of the back wide receiver type uh, uh, player. So if you don't have a quarterback, well, are you going Bridgewater? Is it, so you're saying is it Bridgewater, Bridgewater plus McCaffrey? McCaffrey and two firsts? Is that the Russell Wilson price tag for Carolina? And is one of those two firsts the number eight pick who could also be a quarterback, by the way? I mean, that's Mac Jones territory based on what we're hearing. Yeah, if you're if you're Seattle and you've watched the tape on Teddy and you're you're sold on it, then I, I could see that happening. Not even that. It's just it'd just be a one year placeholder. That's where his guaranteed money is. And again, you could just be drafting his replacement in two months anyway. So yeah. you could be you could essentially be restarting your quarterback situation with a veteran plus a rookie. You'd have the best running back in football. And you'd be out of Russell's contract. Is that enough for Seattle to get this done? I know the Jets are the easier target here because it's Sam Darnold, the number two, maybe the 2022 first, 
whatever else it would take. Quentin Nelson, I don't know. Quentin Williams, you know excuse I, me. P- part of me wants to say, yes, that might be enough because... I agree. Know, they, and McCaffrey they, they, might be that X a, factor, right? Well, A, Seattle doesn't have a first-round pick because they traded to the, to the Jets. Correct. So if you can jump up to eight where you are, as a franchise for the last decade, have rarely been that high in the draft. It's sort of uh, like the Warriors. You know, yeah. They didn't do well this year. They ended up with a top lottery pick. If Seattle can get up to eight and then they can you know, bring in a guy that is um, – you know, yeah, I mean, franchise changing for them that yeah. they wouldn't usually get in the bottom half of the first round, then yeah, I think you have to consider it. I mean, you'd have McCaffrey on an, on, a, on an $8.2 million cap hit. You'd have Teddy, give me a second here to prepare <laughs> on the fly. You'd have Teddy at almost $18 million. So you're probably restructuring that. To, to, to make, to work, you know, play ball a little bit. Cause there's no guarantees next year. He's got two years left, Teddy Bridgewater. Um, but you would restructure probably the current salary a little bit to help you out. It's, it's half guaranteed. So it's kind of the perfect transition process, you know, because if you're bringing in Darnold, Scott, Scott, yes, you might get the number two pick and Darnold, which is obviously a better piece of compensation, but, are you just going to throw Darnold away? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because if you're not, you're right back in Russell Wilson contract situations. I mean, 35 million would be, if Sam Darnold works out for you this year, you're going to have a fifth year option on him. You could franchise tag him if you needed to, but at some point over the next 18 to 24 months, Sam Darnold is going to be worth a minimum of 35 million a year, which is the Russell contract. So, have you really given yourself enough time then to kind of rebuild on the fly financially, you know, and keep some of your defense together, which you're about to lose three to four pieces, arguably DK Metcalf, if he's in your future, he's 20 million a year, Jamal Adams, the reason they don't have a first round pick, he's close to 20 million a year from what we're hearing. Uh, you know, there's big, there's already players on that roster that are going to need gigantic contracts to me, Bridgewater and the eight, while it's not as attractive as Darnold in the two, and then obviously there's another pick coming, you know, in this deal. That's not the deal. But Bridgewater in the eight gives you a better gap financially with your quarterback situation to figure it out. If Bridgewater works out, you keep him for 2022, you know, and, you, and you've got whatever, Mac Jones to deal with later as a trade asset or whatever it's going to be. But um, I, I just think that is attractive. Now, whether or not McCaffrey's in this, I, who knows? I, I don't know if a running back like that is tradable. <laughs> I really don't. Um, but look, his traded cap hits are a heck of a lot more attractive than than what Carolina signed him signed him to. So anything is possible, as we've seen in the last. Well, let me put it this know, way: Would you take Christian McCaffrey or another first round pick? You know what um, I mean? Like, wouldn't Seattle just take a third first and Teddy? Or does winning? You know, could you? Do you think you could win nine games with Bridgewater McCaffrey on that Seattle roster? You know, that's the decision you'd have to make if this offer was on the table. We never see player for player trades. This would be so Rarely. freaking un NFL like. If it's two picks, a starting quarterback and a and a starting running back for another superstar starting quarterback, this would be an unprecedented NFL trade. It really would. 
Yeah, and if you if you say McCaffrey is cap hit would be about eight million, that's like paying it's Barkley. It's like paying Barkley the number two overall. It's like franchise tagging Chris Carson. So, really, or that that's yeah. what it is. So, would you rather have McCaffrey than Chris Carson? I, I think that answer is yes, even though Carson is a heck of an option. Yeah, but when you're that talking answer. dollar for dollar, it's it's McCaffrey. So. And and on top of it, you got the number eight pick. If I would that assume is thrown in there. So yeah. if you if you were assuming that, then I, I think I think yes. And if you throw Bridgewater in again, it's a gap. I mean, if yeah. you went the Darnold route, Darnold's younger, mm-hmm. so you have that going for you. Even if he does get to 30, 35 million. so you know, Darnold does it, feel like a Pete Carroll guy. He does feel like that to me, but again, you're not, you're not acquiring because, because acquiring Darnold and number two is weird. That's weird. Yeah. What are you then, what are you doing then with the number two? Is it going to be, you know, are you going to alignment? Yeah. You're going to overpay for the best left tackle in, in the draft. Are you trading out of two then? Are you, are you flipping that number two? Because then that becomes very attractive. Yes, it would. Then becomes very attractive. Especially if you end up falling back to, you know, 20s and getting a, a, a high second round pick out of it or whatever else it may conjure up. But, you know, that's the jockeying that. All right. Some teams All right. Have Let's put really our two well. shows together before I get, I get, I forget this. Last show, we talked about the Panthers and we talked about the Panthers not getting Watson, not getting Wilson, but taking that number eight and going up to two for the Jets pick. So let's make this a three-team trade. That rarely happens in the NFL. Well, it'd be two separate. But let's say Russell goes to the Jets for Darnold and the number two. Okay? But -hmm. then the Carolina flips McCaffrey and picks to go from eight to two so so that the Panthers can get their quarterback at number two, you know, the second best quarterback in the draft, yeah. Seattle gets Darnold and McCaffrey out of this. Yeah. Do it. Take a risk. Do it, NFL. <laughs> the Jets get do I have this right? Yeah. The Jets get Russell. The Panthers get number two. And Seattle gets McCaffrey and Darnold. I think I love this. I have no idea how the picks shake out otherwise in terms of what moves where, but that and that think, alone is at least a framework of some logic, right? It is because, you know, as we've been talking last show and now and the Panthers trying to clear space, you know, we've seen this backfire a lot in, in the NBA. Yeah. Teams clear all this space for these free agents and look, the Knicks or uh, the Dallas Mavericks. They try to clear all this space and be ready for two years from now, and and then it collapses on them, and they don't even get a a marquee free agent. The Panthers could be clearing all of this space for absolutely nothing because Watson may not get traded. There may not be— They're clearing uh, it for everything or nothing. They're not going to just waste it is what you're saying. Right. And Correct. same with Jacksonville. I, I had this, I was on a Jacksonville radio show last night, Scott. And that was basically question number one, you know, what are they going to do with, with 79 to $80 million of cap space? And my answer was essentially was nothing, right? If, if they don't love anything, the answer is nothing. Right. 
you, you don't want to do you don't want to jump the gun on building around Trevor Lawrence before even having Trevor Lawrence, right? I mean, figure out your offensive line, lock in a couple of players on your defense that you love, go out and and maybe acquire somebody off the Saints or the Eagles who are just in cap disaster right now. You know, get yourself a starting cornerback, Marcus Williams, maybe. Uh, you know, sh- use your assets intelligently right now, but don't just go, don't be frivolous, right? Don't go spend a hundred million because you have a hundred million. Yeah, I agree. Uh, there's no reason for Carolina to do anything with the moves they've done. They These could simply just be football moves. You know, they're third and dead cap right now. That, that may be part of the process. It's a purge. It's a bit of a purge. Um, so that's a good point you make. Nothing, you know, one move doesn't have to equal another move, but they're doing no, it. And- for, there is a plan A for sure and a plan B here. And this is exactly the, the, the conversation that Carolina has had internally. You know, if if that Russell story is real, we're in for sure. And, and we're in unprecedented times. So the fact that, you know, maybe teams do need to look at a three team trade instead of just the player for picks, uh, yeah. the rare player for player, maybe they need to look at how the NBA has operated or in to some extent, Major League Baseball has had multi, multi-team multi trades as well for the fact that, all right, I want this player, but you want this pick. Let's just all get in in, in on this and do a three-team trade so we're all happy. Yeah, again, um, se- you know, separate transactions most likely, but get other GMs involved in, in your needs right now. You know, everybody's got to play ball a little bit because everybody's kind of in a mess right now. And, you know, it's not easy to go one for one with new quarterbacks is what teams are finding out. The the uh, the Rams Lions situation, that's like a dream scenario. It just so happens that they both kind of wanted each other's quarterback for a couple of years. So it worked out. That's not going to be the case. I mean, I'm seeing Dak for Deshaun out there on Twitter every hour and a half. That's, that's not going to work out. That's not going to happen, you know, but uh, I don't know. Better times. Yeah. Why not? Why not three teams? Why not three teams that are in maybe a similar situation right now with, with complementary assets, you know, it doesn't make sense for Seattle to acquire Darnold and the number two, unless the number two is then a trade piece, you know, where they can get back a little bit, get their offensive linemen or get, whatever it's going to be, a replacement, an edge rusher replacement for KJ, whatever it's going to be. Um, so involve other teams, you know, involve Carolina, who does want that number two pick for, for a quarterback, possibly involve other teams that want to move up Atlanta, maybe get to get higher. Um, interesting stuff for sure. The, uh, the final thing I want to bring up, Scott, right now is dead cap, just kind of as a whole, quick and dirty. I did a piece on it on, on the spotchart.com. You can find it. It's called Understanding Dead Cap. The under, like a basic understanding of dead cap. So there's like a there's scenarios broken out there, examples there. Just, do you have questions specifically? Because I know you're someone on the outside looking in with this stuff, and you see what I tweet, you see what I say out loud. But um, you know what what as as a casual NFL salary cap follower, what still kind of irks you about dead cap or questions you have regarding dead cap? Hmm. I think the one interesting thing that the NFL has that uh, other leagues I don't think have, at least NBA doesn't, is accelerating the dead. You know, if there's anything remaining, like if you do a post, was it the post June? And so you you can split it, but it accelerates it to the second year or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. Okay. So, 
so just a real quick and dirty post June 1st situation. Um, so let's, let's put the situation out there with, let's see, who's a bubble candidate that I can use here so I can give a real life example. Uh, multi-year contract. All right. I'm going to give you a real life example. This is actually going to happen. So the Eagles have done some, some quick restructures on Alshon Jeffrey and Malik Jackson, uh, two players that they absolutely are going to release, but they're going to designate them as post-June 1st releases. So this is exactly what's going to happen with those two players in Philadelphia. On March 17th, when the league year officially starts, they're going to officially announce that those two players have been released, or have been are going to be designated as post-June 1st releases. Each of those players can now go and negotiate and sign with other teams on a brand new contract. They're completely released. But their current contracts with Philadelphia have to stay on the books as is until June 1st. So for instance, it's going to be 7.6 million for Elshon Jeffrey on the books with Philadelphia through June 1st. Um, at which point in time, he's got $10.5 million of dead cap. Any of the dead cap you see in 2021 on his contract, so that's $1.25 million of signing bonus, $1.725 million of option bonus, and $2.5 million of restructure in 2021, that converts into 2021 dead cap, $5.5 million. Anything, any, any bonuses you see below 2021, so 2022 and 2023, another $4.9 million, that gets moved to 2022. So it's a two-year split. It's this year and next year. And this year, the dead cap is whatever was in this year only. And next year, it's whatever was left. Anything else remaining down the road in terms of bonus proration. Where it gets more complicated, and I understand this is a, this is a mouthful. Let's say Elshon Jeffrey's $11.6 million salary for 2022 was also fully guaranteed. So next year's salary. Any actual cash that is owed and guaranteed to a player down the road would accelerate into this year's dead cap. So if we're splitting it up into two years, it's any bonus proration from this year specifically and any guaranteed cash wherever it is on the contract, whether it's this year, next year, two years from now, it accelerates to this year. Any bonus proration from year's future would go to next year's dead cap. So that's the split. That's what's going to happen with Elshon Jeffrey. 5.5 this year, 4.9 next year. But he, he is free to sign with any other team on March 17th. Those post-June first designations, there are two per team per year. That was my next question, yep. how many you can have. So the Eagles are going to max out, but there are two designations. And it's only for a, re a release. You can't designate a trade. You can't designate a, a retirement as post-June 1st. Those transactions actually have to happen after June 1st. So for instance, with Drew Brees, let's move to him real quick. You've, you've probably heard from, from me and other sources that Drew Brees has basically taken a $25 million pay cut with the Saints in 2021. He has reduced his, his salary from $25 million down to the minimum $1.075 million. The reason that's happened isn't that he's a good guy. He's not going to play for $1 million this year. Okay. It's the same scenario as Elshon, Je Elshon Jeffrey. The Saints are going to keep him on the books until June 2nd, after which case 
they will process his retirement or they will release him out of this contract. One of the two things. And his, his dead cap his $22.6 million of dead cap will split into, I believe it's 11. It's 11.15 in 2021 and 11.5 in 2022. So even as he retires, he's doing them a solid. That's what you can do with voidable years. That's why so many of these teams are doing this, especially with quarterbacks. Brady's been doing it. Roethlisberger did not do it. Stafford's been doing it. Many, many quarterback contracts now are including restructures with voidable years so that even when they go, it's less of a hit. They can take their big signing bonuses up front, but it's less of a hit to walk away. So in Breeze's case, reducing it to the $1 million base, is he still going to get that? Nope. 23 cash. It's not guaranteed. None, none of this year was guaranteed. So it's funny money. So it's just saying, all right, you weren't going to make the 25 million anyway. So for, for cap purposes, so that we can keep you on our salary cap until June 1st, let's just throw 24 million of it out the door. Like it never existed. So his cap it now is 12.2 million where it used so to be made 36 a, million. million. So he made a million out of the deal by doing no, this. He's not going to get paid. No, he's not going to make that million even. It's just he has to be on the books at that minimum salary legally, CBA purposes. But when he retires, he's not going to make any of that cash. It's just so that they can make it a post-June 2nd retirement. And instead of it being $22.6 million of dead cap all this year, now it's 11-1 this year and 11-5 next year. So it helps them from cap purposes. But the reason they had to reduce his salary is they want to keep him on the books until June 1st. And you don't want to do that with a $36 million cap hit. It's a lot no. easier to handle it at $12.2 million. So it's semantics. It's complete manipulation of the salary cap. Legal, legal so manipulation. What does Breeze get out of it? Anything? Nothing. Or nothing. It's nothing. just a, like you it's said, just just a solid, solid to, to the them. Saints. Yep. It's just a cap manipulation move for the Saints. Um, and look, if he wants to come back and play, they release him out of this contract and re-sign him. That's all it's going to be. Um, the but it's a smart move. It's a savvy move. It's but it's Mickey Loomis and those Saints playing with fire yet again, right? Yeah, they are. Push push it down the push line. Push it down, baby. Um, it, it, this hit my real quick. This hit my head. It's it's baseball related, but could I don't know if it's NFL. Is there anything within the NFL that allows deferred payments like Major League Baseball to push down? Like if they wanted. To say, all right, we're going to reduce this for Breeze now, but we'll give you cash after you're retired. Can they? Is there anything built in like Boy, that? I haven't. No? I haven't seen it. Some of the bonus payments, the cash port portion of it, are are delayed. You know, signing bonuses are split up either over two years if they're huge, or three years sometimes. I mean, uh, after they're done. But like, no, I haven't. I haven't done. seen any any release out of contract payments. You know what I mean? Like after the after the contract would expire, I have not seen that. Now, I don't remember for sure. I've read it a million times, but I don't think I don't know if the CBA actually says, no, that's not legal. I just haven't seen it. I haven't seen okay. it. And, and to me, it would be some sort of cap manipulation anyway. My guess is yeah. as a hard cap league, those kind of things are, are absolutely a no-no. So, right, right. Um, no, that's not the kind of – and it's a nightmare in baseball. So <laughs> let's keep it out of the NFL. It's a nightmare to keep track of. <laughs> um, um, anything else? Yeah. Yeah. One, one last thing I think we can hit up is, you know, we, we've had the, what Mickey Loomis came out and talked about Ben and oh, Brady uh, restructure. Colbert. Yeah, Kevin Colbert. Or, yeah. Col yeah. Right. Sorry. Um, I was, we were on the saints and I was thinking that, mm -hmm. um, Oh, real quick, ben real quick, by the way, all of this, we just talked about post June 1st, the, the Drew Brees pay cut, 
not applicable to Ben. Ben is on the final year of his contract. There is no dummy year next year. There is no 2022 salary to, to be able to manipulate. So there's this, that's not an option with this. Now, they could convert his roster bonus into dummy years and save some cap space. That's what I threw up on Twitter yesterday, kind of a, a, a restructured version of that. But as, as a couple of the, the Pittsburgh beat reporters very intelligently called out, they don't do that. Pittsburgh doesn't do de- voidable dummy years. Um, you know, they don't guarantee base salaries and they don't do voidable years. It's just not in their DNA. And they are very, very strict with their contract structure. So it's going to be kind of a cat and mouse game here with Ben's situation. Go ahead. What was your question? Well, what I was going to say is, it, it, is there even a percentage of a chance that Big Ben just plays on the forty-one no, million no. and be done and, no. and, and play it for the one year and then he's off the books next year? You don't even have to worry about it. No, you know, no, look, the absolutely not. At, with seven or eight legitimate free agents about to hit the market, I mean, they're going to be so decimated as it is. I, you know. In a normal year, you know, I wouldn't even say the best team in football should should allow a forty one million dollar cap hit on a one eighty three ish league cap. No chance. Um, but certainly not this team or this player at that age with that with the production that you know he's projected to to, to provide. Um, the 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 strength that the Pittsburgh Steelers have right now, Scott, is because they're so rigid on how they structure contracts, on what they do and don't do. What really could happen, and I'm very much against it, but what really could could happen is Ben might just have to say, all right, take $10 million off the roster bonus. I'll play for the minimum base salary. I'll play for $11 million this year. Because look, $22.25 million of that $41.25 million is dead cap, is bonus proration. It's not cash. He's only slated to make $19 million of cash. So because Pittsburgh can say, you know how we work, you've been here long enough, you know, we're not going to add dummy years to, to, to reduce this cap hit. We don't think extending you to an actual contract makes sense. You know, we want to deal with this as the final year and we don't want it to deal with a $41 million cap hit. So it's not likely in my opinion. I don't like the pay cut scenario for, for anyone, let alone a quarterback, right? A Hall of Fame quarterback. Yeah. But because of the, of the, situation that these two sides are both standing in right now i think it's possible that ben just look ben could just punt on the whole roster bonus that's an unbelievable gesture to to get rid of 15 million dollars but how else are you going to save the cap space you know the scenario i threw out there on twitter saves a a good portion of cap space i believe it's 14 million dollars of cap space to add four dummy years convert that signing bonus that roster bonus and Three million of his base salary, so essentially eighteen million, into f- a five-year signing bonus, proration-wise, you clear fourteen million, but then it's fourteen million to cut him next year, you know, or to when it voids next year. So I, it, it, it helps. It helps this year, but that's what thirty other teams would do already. It would have been done already, but Pittsburgh doesn't do that. That's just not what they do. So are they going to flex? And, and as I've said before. The second you do it once, now it's something you do, <laughs> right? Right. Now, c- could they convert the roster bonus to per game incentives? Or because he played 15 games last year, it would still be likely to be earned and would have no effect? Um, 
it would not have a cap effect because it'd be, they'd be likely to be earned. You'd have to build them into passing yard incentives and win, you can't even do wins. They won so many damn games last year. You'd have to be real creative to make those not likely to be earned. That's something he could agree to, you know? So we'll, we'll, we'll take uh, 5 million straight off the top um, as a pay cut. And then we'll take 5 million more or the remaining 10 of that roster bonus and just build it into um, passing yards and completion rate. And if you're top, you know, Brady, Brady's situation, Brady's situation is, he makes basically $250,000 if he's top five in touchdowns, top five in passer rating, top five in completion percentage, and so forth. There's five different parameters like that. You know, that's not a terrible idea, Scott, for Ben's situation here versus saying we, you need to take a $15 million bath. But that would be a way, because he didn't have the best season of his career last year, it'd be a way to allow him to make that money back while keeping it off the cap in 2021, initially speaking. So not a bad idea. You know, maybe that's it, it, the compromise between a pay cut and the voidable year restructure. Right. And and for those that are learning and, and trying to follow along, if they've pulled up Big Ben's contract here, that 12 and a half signing bonus proration there, that is untouchable, correct? Not cash. That can't be. That's dead the, the, cap. Well, the, the prorated 12 and a half can't that's under it. the signing. You can't touch that, right? Can't touch the 9.75 restructure. Can't touch the 12.5 signing bonus. That's That's money that's been paid cash. And it is, it is bonus proration. It can't be split up over two or three years. It, it is stuck in 2021. So that's the problem here. There's 22 and change stuck in 2021, no matter what they do. Uh, so I actually really like your idea. And I'm going to look at the stats real quick to see where he lives. Because I, I actually think this is a good way to finish here. Okay, so he played 15 games. So per game bonuses would not work. His completion percentage was 65.6. So do you make it 67 He's got to get complete 67%. That's high. Which he's, he's which, never which he's he's done, done it done twice. 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 Um, twice. Yep. Passing yards, he had 3,800. So, you know, do you go 4,000 as, as the indicator there? Um, you know, pa- passing touchdowns. He actually had 30, he had 33 and 10 last year in terms of touchdown interceptions. So, you know, are you going 40? You make him get 40 to make that extra five, you know, $1 million. Uh, passer rating was 94 last year. That's that's pretty low in the grand scheme of things. Do you make him go, you know, 95 plus, 96 plus? There's a lot of ways to get there, and it's a good it's a good way to do it because it does take cap off. You could take, you know, five million of cap off right there by doing maybe six or seven different stat production areas now, at seven or fifty thousand per. You know, so so hypothetically, say they did this, and he meets those metrics and it puts them over the cap. Yep. What would they have? What would they have to do? No, no, no. It gets adjusted to next year. Oh, okay. It, it becomes 2022 cap adjustment situation. So it never hits the 2021 cap. It gets paid in 2021 as cash, but then gets adjusted in 2022 for after the fact. So again, it'd be a post bend situation. Okay. Gotcha. So it's smart. It's actually very yeah. smart. And that's something I think they can get themselves on board with. So Keep an eye on Ben. Sounds like he's coming back, but the $41 million is not happening. All right. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be more questions next week. This was a three-week show for us. That may continue as the, uh, you know, the content just kind of lends itself to doing so. So we're happy to, to uh, answer questions, obviously, at Spotrek on Twitter. Scott, thanks so much. Have a good one. All right. Let's switch gears. A little Major League Baseball. Lindsey Adler, the Yankees beat reporter from The Athletic.
Thrilled to be joined by the Yankees beat reporter for The Athletic, Lindsay Adler. Lindsay, you've been outstanding this offseason, keeping up with the numbers, the signings, the moves, the projections, and your latest piece regarding Garrett Cole's comments and the Major League Baseball labor system. It's fascinating stuff. It's something that we have touched on on this show, boy, I don't know, a dozen times because we know what's coming with this, you know, the post-2021 discussions, the negotiations, the CBA, the disaster, really. Kind of just bring us into this story uh, as you came about it and what you might think might be coming out from it because this is not, you know, the ninth guy in the bench saying this. This is Garrett Cole saying this. Yeah, so Garrett's Garrett's been passionate about being involved with the union for, by my understanding, pretty much his entire career. Um, he's a Scott Boris client. Scott obviously, or Scott encourages a lot of his players to really get involved with the PA and make sure that they have have a say in in the way that their um, that their careers operate. And so Garrett is definitely a unique person in this regard because a lot of the things that he was talking about, he talked about the issues with the way analytics and information in baseball can be used to help a player's career or hurt them in free agency and arbitration. Or he's, and he talked about how the player compensation economic model is hurting veteran players. And he's a guy who has benefited from the use of information. His, it, his career really took off in Houston um, after really maximizing his high spin fastball. And he's a guy who is on a nine-year contract as a starting pitcher, um, obviously 124 million. And so he doesn't actually fit necessarily what it seems like he's criticizing. However, Garrett's a pretty interesting case because he came up through the Pirates organization. He dealt with them trying to threatening to lower his salary after his first all-star season. And he was there when they, you know, went into contention and then fell off. And then he benefited from analytics in Houston. Um, but obviously the organization can also be pretty cutthroat about the way that they do a lot of things. So he, he hit free agency at the perfect time for him, but he knows that that's not how it is for everyone. And so Garrett Garrett will speak about this stuff from time to time. And like everything Garrett talks about, he's very passionate and eloquent in speaking about it. But this time, of course, it was um, it was provoked by the former Seattle Mariner CEO, Kevin Mather. And Cole, Cole summed it up pretty well. He said, every player should wake up and read the news on, on the guy with the Mariners, which honestly is how I keep remembering who he is, the guy with the Mariners. <laughs> Um, Used to be with the Mariners. Right. He said these conversations are being had in a lot of clubs, unfortunately. And so I think the Mariners situation has inspired maybe more reporters to be asking these questions this week. But, you know, Garrett made it pretty clear that these are things that he and the union and his fellow players are really thinking about. It's... uh this is really tough for me. I'm a huge baseball person. I mean, I do, you know, nine sports a day here, but this mm-hmm. is my bread and butter. This is what I, why I built the site in the first place um, is to track baseball salaries. And look, 
it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at Garrett Cole's historical salaries mm -hmm. and understand what the problem is here versus, mm -hmm. you know, on the heels of Fernando Tatis Jr. basically locking down his entire career financially in one swing, which is what yeah. he's done, uh, which I think is brilliant right now. And especially brilliant as we head into these CBA negotiations, because now there is this thing to look at as how bad it's gotten, right? Mm -hmm. It's gotten so bad, guys don't even want to get to arbitration, let alone to free agency anymore, because I'm just going to take whatever number sounds great, and I don't want to deal with the process at all. The labor process is so scary and ugly and so anti-player right now that I'll take any offer you give me that looks good enough, and I don't want to hear about this ever again. We saw it with Bryce Harper. When Bryce Harper hit free agency, there was so much speculation about would he take a one-year deal you know, is mm -hmm. it, is it all about, is he going to be the next LeBron James where he can bounce around and control where he, where he goes. And he winds up with a 13 year deal with basically no, no, no out. He's going to be yes. on one contract for the rest of his life. And his explanation was basically, I'm done doing this. This was mm -hmm. a disaster. Um, so obviously it's broken and, and you know, Garrett yeah. Cole made 20,000 above minimum basically for four straight years in the, in the Pittsburgh organization. And he was a Cy Young candidate basically the whole time. He's a number one overall pick. This isn't a kid yeah. who struggled in the minors, found, found his way to the majors and, and just took whatever they gave him. He was forced mm -hmm. to take these salaries as the number one overall pick. No other sport yeah. would have this. this. This is not, you know, well, you know, everybody's got to pay their dues. All other sports have figured out that everybody wants to be younger and fresher and more exciting so we're just going to start paying those players a little bit more anyway so that everybody's happy, so that we've got players like LeBron James at 38 and players you know, like Fernando Tatis Jr. at 22. And all of these people can be well-paid under our system because we're a thriving organization. Is that, is that the problem here, Lindsay? Is Major League Baseball just financially in trouble? I, I don't think that's the case. I think owners would like to make it seem like it's not a profitable That's very business. well said. It is, a, it is a profitable business. And so someone like, someone like Garrett, who, I mean, I'm really honestly wondering when is the next time that we will see a starting pitcher get a nine year contract. It's yep. just, you know, of, of all the, of all the roles that a player can play. That's the one I think where locking a player up 29 for nine years, just, um, probably not where GMs are going, but so Garrett's going to be making, I believe 36 million per year. I believe that's his Correct. AAV yep. um, on the back end. And so I think, I think really the way to think about it overall is just that players are not looking to swindle owners. They understand that they play the game that owners profit off of it and they just basically want to make sure that they are receiving compensation representative or that's that's commensurate to sort of a, what would maybe be an appropriate ratio of how much they're paid versus how much they generate um Garrett Cole um I mean how much how much money is he going to generate for the Yankees in the next three or four years if he's if he's as good as expected so if a player, let's say, let's say we're to look back at a player's like 15 year career and we could say, you know, based on their overall production, if we were able to sort of assign 
a dollar value to how much they should have been paid for the totality of their career. It's now basically about where that is allocated because it was players sort of worked with the understanding that they would come in, be underpaid in pre-arbitration, still be underpaid in arbitration, but then that they would be able to make up some of that some of that value on on the back end of their careers. And so this is what Garrett was getting at, where clubs all have access to StatCast data and other forms of data. And so understandably, clubs can now better project out sort of the trajectory for a player. So that obviously harms players that are over 30, 31, um, past their peak. They're usually under team control during their peak. And so they're all sort of using the same sort of information. They're all sort of getting the same type of results. And so what veteran players have talked about a lot is hitting free agency, getting offers that they believe are less than they should receive. And a lot of, and, and some of the offers that they're getting all sort of look similar. And I think, I think sometimes when fans hear players talk about this, they think, Oh no! Wow, they're that's crazy. That's you know they're they're jumping to like um, alleging collusion, and I think I think it can be less insidious than that. I think it's just that information has changed the way that clubs want to compensate players, which you know ultimately I'm fine with. If clubs no longer want to quote unquote overpay for players on the back end of their career, that makes sense but then players are losing it on both sides. They're being underpaid in their prime and then they're not getting anything to make up for it. And so, that's the problem. And, and yeah. I, and I love that Garakol was able to reference all of this. You know, it wasn't yeah. just an attack on ownership or an attack on the CBA. Yeah. It was, uh, he's fully aware of the fact that the modernization of the game has not only helped, you know, mm-hmm. him specifically with his spin rate. Right. But, uh, but also it, it's destroyed you know, the 30 to 31 year olds ability to get the contracts yeah. that existed even just five years ago. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like to say that Jason Hayward broke baseball. That's kind of my internal <laughs> no, joke, yeah. but um, look, at, <laughs> look, you're right. You know, it's Garrett Cole at nine years right now. And then the next, next, the longest contract for a starting pitcher is seven, which is Max yeah. Scherzer wow. and, and Steven Strasburg. And it really drops off after that. I mean, and you've got four to five elite players and then the rest of the group, and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a, I'm a Mets apologist, so mm-hmm. I can, I convert back to Jacob deGrom for a lot of these conversations. Yeah. Um, look, by the time people figured out that Jacob deGrom was outstanding, they also yes. had to look at his age and say, what the mm-hmm. heck? <laughs> right. Yeah. Because he was a late bloomer. He got into, he basically got himself into the game. You know, 27 is when we really started mm-hmm. to figure him out. By the time he got through his controlled years and through his arbitration years, almost to the finish line, he's 30. He signs, mm-hmm. you know, his five-year extension at 31. He's not, you know, he's, he's getting half of Garrett Cole's money. Um, yeah. So you're right. Cole is the anomaly, but he's also the right voice to be speaking out. Not only because he's holding the money right now and he's holding what used to exist. So w- really what needs to happen is we need a compromise. So mm-hmm. I'm going to give you the hardest question in the history of the world to finish this off with. <laughs> okay, okay. Because, uh, um, you know, in 12 months, it's, uh-huh. it's going to get really ugly. You know it. Yeah. We all know what's coming. 
what is what is going to be the, the at least phase one fix for this? I'll give you options to make it easier. Are they going to reduce the six year control? You know, the three years pre ARP, the three years ARP. Are they going to reduce the days in a year that you must be on the active roster to accrue a season? Hmm. Or I'm trying to think of a best way to say this. I can't say the word salary cap or I'll get yelled right. at. I'll get yelled at. Um, will there be a spending floor in Major League Baseball? So I think a spending floor is the most important thing here. Um, if you can get a spending floor without a hard cap, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Um, sure you can. Yeah. It's just a percentage of whatever the luxury tax is. Right. Mm-hmm. So I feel like a salary floor might be the most likely um, because teams are just so interested in players that are under team control. You know, I think they, that's really. Yeah. Moneyball is not just a buzzword. I mean, yes. it is the mindset now. The Houston Astros, they, they finished the job, right? Yes. I mean, they yes. had a plan, they had a process, and they won. They cheated, but they won. Um, yes. So now that's the model. Um, yes. You know, and we, we kind of jokingly opened this conversation by saying, you know, baseball's not broke. These owners are not broke. Yes, they had a bad year. Um, but I think we're all aware that half the league right now could and should be spending more. Is that is that too rash to say? No, and I think that's, I mean, I think that's sort of, that's really part of what players are looking for. Yeah. I mean, they're looking for a number of things, but one is really to make sure that there are veteran players being valued because veteran players bring a lot of things that you can't quantify with an algorithm, which is part of the frustration. But, you know, if if you have more teams looking to compete, they feel that that opens up more jobs for veteran players. Um, You know, Jay Bruce, who I believe is only 33, um, the Yankees got him on a minor league deal. That's amazing for the New York Yankees, uh, who certainly need all of the lucky breaks that they can get or whatever. Um, But would Jay Bruce be on a minor league deal if four additional teams really felt that they could uh, reasonably contend this year. So, so I actually I think know. it might be two of the three. I, I actually think that the floor will get here. I don't okay. know. I don't know how we don't get there. I mean, that, that has got to be what the MLBPA is relying on right now is just some mm-hmm. sort of indication that there, that there is a numerical value to what teams have to spend on an annual basis. Mm-hmm. And then I also think the 172 day situation has to be altered. It's just yeah. way too many days. It is so. Yeah. It's so easy to keep Chris Bryant or Jared Kelenic in my in minor league baseball for three weeks, mm-hmm. and then just have them come up, you know, and make their. You can you can market the heck out of him them coming up because you know exactly the date it's going to happen because it aligns perfectly with the CBA. Yeah. If if that was the, the the second they play more than half a year or or yeah. something a little bit you know you know more reasonable, which every other league by the way does. This is right. the most strict version of the accrued season. So. Um, to me, that has to change as well. I, the spending yes. floor and, and the accrued days. 
that's what I'm rooting for. I, I don't think it's logical to think that over the course of two months without a lockout, they can fix the six year structure. Um, yes. That's just too set in stone and has been for such a long time. Uh, okay. Last question. I lied. I'm going to get you out of here on this. You've been, you've been great. And we're, by the way, I'm going to have you back for a more um, expanded version of this discussion, but I just want, I, I just want to know where you stand right now after really this off season is wrapped up. Now you're in spring training as we speak. Have the Yankees done enough this off season? And, and I'm asking that as the Yankees, right? Not just as a baseball team. Have the Yankees as the Yankees done enough this off season? I think so. Yes. Okay. Um, Vegas certainly thinks so. <laughs> I, I do think so. I think, I think they did add more to the rotation than I honestly anticipated though. You know, Corey Kluber and Jameson Tyone are not sure bets. Um, bringing back P.J. LeMayhew was hugely important. Um, bringing back Gardner, Brett Gardner, you know, gives them another left-handed option. Brett doesn't need to play every day, so they can still keep, or they can still put Clint in, in left for, for most games. And I think bringing back Brett, or at least indicating that they weren't going to just leave them out in the cold over a few million dollars was probably important to the clubhouse too. And so I think what people are forgetting is that the 2020 Yankees were projected to be very good, very, very good. And so even if they had sort of rebuilt the 2020 team, they would still be a very good team. But if you can get that upside from Kluber and Tyone, which the Yankees clearly believe that they can, um, then you're improving on 20. 21 and that's um yeah I, I i think a lot of people have sort of become inert to the to the talent level on the new york yankees mm -hmm. because they've been contending for a few years they haven't knocked it down you you feel like you're sort of seeing the same guys you're seeing the same issues but no i i think that this team has as much of a chance to contend as any of the yankees teams i've covered in the last three years if if not potentially more Fair enough. I'm going to have you back. We're going to break every every single move down. So Perfect. get ready Perfect. for it because I have I have opinions and facts. Uh, this was great. Thanks so much for your time. Great piece on Garrico. It's on The Athletic, of course. Theathletic.com slash track gets you a little bit off right now. And uh, follow Lindsay Adler on Twitter. She's great. She's been all over this Yankee stuff all offseason. Lindsay, thanks so much. Thank you so much. Okay, that'll do it. My special thanks to Lindsay Adler. Follow her on Twitter. Check her out at The Athletic and visit theathletic.com slash track. Get yourself 40% off all of these great articles from Lindsay and plenty of other beats. Scott Allen, my thanks to him. Another FAQ section, NFL cap, NFL trades, NFL signings. It's all on the table right now. And my thanks to OLBG.com, of course, the online betting guide. Get yourself into the free pick'em contest, win some cash prizes, become a better gambler. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. Thank you.